0: When it's dark and dreary in these winter months, what do you most like to do? I'm hoping that some of you might say you love to sit by a cosy fire and listen to a good story. That's a great way to make your heart warm and bring good cheer. Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly, Welcome to this special omnibus edition of Journey with Story where you can listen to all of this month's episodes in one single sitting. Oh, mums and dads and all of you grown-ups, you might be interested in a little handout that I have available on my website that gives you lots of tips on raising kids who love to read. Of course, I know you're interested in that because you're already sharing this storytelling podcast with your little ones. So go to www.journeywithstory.com and click on the resources tab at the top and you can also find the link in our episode notes. Now, let's take an omnibus journey with story. Let's take a journey with the good stepmother. Long ago and far away, there once lived a king who had a little daughter whom he loved with all his heart. Her name was Alina and her mother had died shortly after she was born. To her father's great joy, Alina was just like her mother, fair of face and wise beyond telling, with a heart of gold. From far and near, people admired and loved the little princess. As Alina grew, she had all that any child could ever wish for, She lived in a huge palace with more rooms than she could count, a different outfit for every day of the week, her very own pony, and a nursery crammed with books and dolls and every kind of puppet you could imagine. She even had a retinue of kind and wise servants who looked after her every need. And most of all, she had a father who cherished her more than all the jewels in his palace. But, despite all this, the little princess was sad. She watched her ladies-in-waiting playing with their own children and she pined for her mother. How she wished she had a mother's lap to sit in and share her secrets or troubles. And most of all, she wished for a mother's hug. It wasn't long before the king noticed his sweet daughter was pining for something. His heart was heavy with sadness to see her crestfallen face each day. "'Tell me, dear child,' he said, "'what ails you so?' But the princess did not want to upset her dear father, and so she shook her head and replied, "'Nothing, father, nothing at all.' But as the weeks passed and the king saw no improvement, he questioned Elena again and again. Cherub, please tell me why you are so unhappy. Finally, Elena told him of her feelings. Father, you are the best father any child could want. But, but well, you see, I, I need a mother too as well as a father. Could you, well, do you think you might ever... Find a new wife who could be a good mother to me? The king shook his head and sighed. Oh, Elena, my dearest child, it is said that there is only one sun in the sky and only one mother for each of us. Suppose I were to make a bad choice. It would break my heart if I chose a bad stepmother for my dearest girl. Then please, father... Choose a good one, Elena sobbed. But that is not easy, said the king. How am I to judge who is a good person? How can I look into her heart and know her thoughts? And how can I be sure I am making the best choice? Elena thought about this for a while, and then she cried out, I know how to do this. "'Let me be the one who finds you a good wife "'who will also be a good stepmother to me. "'I can choose for us both.' "'The king gasped in astonishment. "'How could he possibly let his young daughter "'make such a huge decision? "'And yet, and yet, "'it was true that Elena had shown herself "'to be wise beyond her years.' And so the king listened as Elena continued. Have the servants search out all the young maidens in the kingdom. Bring them here to our palace wearing wedding dresses they have sewn by hand for themselves. They need to have spun the thread, woven the cloth, stitched, sewed and embroidered with no help from anyone else. Then, if you agree, father... I will choose the one who will become your bride and my good stepmother." The king flung his arms around his daughter, saying, I will do anything to make you happy, dear child. All will be done as you ask. The next day the king sent his servants to every corner of the kingdom announcing his wishes. Word spread quickly. Young ladies dashed to and fro in a frenzy of excitement, each one of them eager to win the heart of the king and become the new queen of the land. For the next few months, spinning wheels hummed, scissors snipped, weaving looms clicked and clacked as reams of cloth turned into magnificent gowns of every colour of the rainbow. Finally, the day came when it was time for Elena to make her choice. All the young girls were gathered in the grand ballroom, dizzy with excitement. How radiant they looked, dressed in gowns, embroidered with satin pink rosebuds, or velvet peacocks, or sprigs of lavender, or countless other intricate adornments. Their faces shone with hope and wonder as they stood inside the grand palace, marvelling at its splendour and beauty. The king admired all of the lovely maidens before him. Every one of them was beguiling in her own way, and he wondered which one his little daughter would choose. The king's chamberlain sorted the young ladies into three rows, The first row were those from noble families. The second row were those from the landed gentry and travelling merchants. The third row were those from peasant families who worked long and hard hours day after day. The king welcomed all of them to his palace while wondering where Elena was and why she was taking so long to appear. Meanwhile, Elena was in her room putting the finishing touches to her outfit when, just before she left the room, she had an idea. She decided to add one more thing not another tiara or sparkling bauble, but a tiny bandage for her little finger. It was so tiny, in fact. That only someone who is paying very close attention would ever notice it. Now at last she was ready. Into the ballroom Elena bustled, all beams and smiles. The maidens curtsied with one gigantic rustling of petticoats. Elena thanked them for attending and without further delay she embarked on her search. She stood before each young lady in turn staring deeply into her eyes then she ran her hands all over the gown tracing every single detail of the embroidery finally she asked each of them one or two questions did you design this embroidery yourself? tell me how did you decide to choose this colour of fabric? as each young girl answered her question Elena would smile and nod sometimes stopping to feel the fabric again or lingering over a velvet ribbon or a satin thread. Then on she would move to the next maiden.
1: You wove this cloth yourself? You stitched this
0: all on your own? Over and over she asked the same questions. After she had finished with those in the first two rows, she came near the end of the third row, and there stood Mashenka. A young peasant girl. Her gown was one of the simplest dresses, but she herself was more beautiful than all the maidens in the room, but that was because her inner kindness flowed out into her radiant face. Elena looked into Mashenka's eyes. She fingered the delicate embroidered edging on her sleeves. "'You sewed the dress yourself. "'You embroidered it yourself,' she asked. "'But instead of answering, "'as all the other young ladies had, "'Mashenka knelt down "'and took the princess's hand into hers. "'Oh, my dear child!' she cried. "'You have hurt yourself. "'Does it hurt, my dear?' "'And with that, "'Mashenka pressed the bandaged finger "'to her lips.' Elena's eyes filled with tears, tears of happiness. Not one other maiden had noticed her bandaged finger. Elena gazed up into Mashenka's face and asked, Would you like to be a mother to me? Yes, yes, cried Mashenka. There is nothing I want more. Elena led Mashenka by the hand to her father, the king. Father, she said, I have found her, a loving wife and the kindest of all mothers for me. And since Elena was as wise as she was kind, her words proved true. For many a year and a day, the three of them lived in great peace and joy and happiness as all of those they ruled over. Let's take a journey with A Hen House Hollabaloo by Kathleen Pelly. Contessa Princessa led a lovely life in her hen house on 11 Linden Lane. Whenever she needed something, all she had to do was kick up one of her Hollabaloo's. If she needed some fresh straw, she kicked up a hurry up and get it, hullabaloo. If she felt a little chilly, she kicked up a hurry up and warm me up, hullabaloo. And when the new neighbor's chihuahua snapped at her through the fence, she kicked up a hurry up and fix the fence, hullabaloo. Everyone adored Contessa Princessa. Whenever she laid an egg, they cooed, You are so clever! Whenever she strutted by with a wiggle of her wattle, they trilled,
1: You are so beautiful! And
0: she had such a nag for imitating all kinds of noises that her plip-plip-plop of raindrops made everyone grab their umbrellas her donkey made little Polly jump and giggle and her yip yip yow of a coyote made them all gawk and gasp she is so smart but everything changed the day a crate arrived outside the hen house and out strutted two hens Lolita and Lupita Adorable everyone agreed Precious darlings
1: Disgusting
0: Sputtered Contessa Princessa I am the precious one around here Shoo shoo Then she kicked up one of her hullabaloos A horrid hissy huffy hullabaloo "'Everyone pleaded, "'Be nice, Contessa, Princessa. "'But Contessa, Princessa, only hullabalooed even more. "'And that made everyone do something they had never done. "'They scolded her. "'That only made matters worse, much worse. "'Everyone despaired. "'But then little Polly had an idea.' It's a time out for you, Contessa Princessa Contessa Princessa looked around. She was clockless with rage and then she stamped and she stomped and she squawked and she screeched and she stewed herself up into one of her hullabaloos. A mighty How Dare you do this to me Hullabaloo It lasted three days and three nights. Everyone grew worried. Maybe we need to send her away to Cousin Consuela's farm in the country. Contessa Princessa heard them and she gulped.
1: What? Send me, the precious Princessa, to a farm?
0: She flopped to the ground, droopy with sorrow, and began to sob. She sobbed as twilight turned to dusk. She sobbed as the moon bloomed and the stars blinked. She sobbed until she had no more sobs left.
1: What will become
0: of me? Then she heard a flutter and a ruffle. There, don't be sad, cooed Lolita and Lupita. Contessa Princessa sniffed and sidled close for a snuggly snooze. Suddenly, a scraping and a scratching startled the hens awake. Chihuahua! Contessa Princessa broke into a hurry up and save us, hullabaloo, but no one came.
1: Save us!
0: Begged Lolita and Lupita, turning to Contessa Princesa. Contessa Princesa summoned her smarts. Only one sound would scare this wily chihuahua. Coyote. Yep, yep, yep. Chihuahua froze. Chihuahua yelped. Chihuahua fled fast as fire. In the morning, everyone rejoiced to see the happy trio. Back in the hen house, Contessa Princesa returned to her lovely life with Lolita and Lupita tottering after her chirping.
1: You are so smart! You are so beautiful. You are so brave.
0: And so happy was Contessa Princessa that she kicked up a brand new Hullabaloo. A jolly, jolly, happy together halabalu And everyone joined in. Let's take a journey with the wise little girl. Once upon a time in the land of Russia lay a little village where nearly all the people bred horses. It was the month of October when a big livestock market was held yearly in the main town. Two brothers, One rich and the other one poor set off for the market. The rich man rode a stallion and the poor brother a young mare. At dusk they stopped beside an empty hut and tethered their horses outside before going to sleep themselves on two heaps of straw. Imagine their surprise the next morning when instead of two horses they saw three horses standing outside. Well, to be exact, the newcomer was not really a horse. It was a foal to which the mare had given birth during the night. Soon it had the strength to struggle to its feet, and after a drink of its mother's milk, the foal staggered its first few steps. The stallion greeted it with a cheerful whinny, and when the two brothers set eyes on it for the first time, the foal was standing beside the stallion. ''It belongs to me!'' exclaimed Dimitri, the rich brother, the minute he saw it. ''It's my stallion's foal!'' Ivan, the poor brother, began to laugh. ''Ha! Whoever heard of a stallion having a foal? It was born to my mare.'' ''No, that's not true. It was standing close to the stallion, so it's the stallion's foal, and therefore it is mine!'' The brothers started to quarrel. Then they decided to go to town and bring the matter before the judges. Still arguing, they headed for the big square where the courtroom stood. But what they didn't know was that it was a special day. The day when, once a year, the Emperor himself administered the law. He himself received all who came seeking justice. The brothers were ushered into his presence and they told him all about the dispute. Of course, the emperor knew perfectly well who was the owner of the foal. He was on the point of proclaiming in favour of the poor brother when suddenly Ivan developed an unfortunate twitch in his eye. The emperor was greatly annoyed by this familiarity from a humble peasant and he decided to punish Ivan for his disrespect. After listening to both sides of the story, he declared it was difficult, indeed impossible, to say exactly who was the foal's rightful owner. And being in the mood for a spot of fun, and since he loved posing riddles and solving them as well, to the amusement of his
2: counsellors, he exclaimed... I can't judge which of you should have the full, so it will be awarded to whichever of you solves the following four riddles. What is the fastest thing in the world? What is the fattest? What is the softest? And what is the most precious? I command you to return to the palace in a week's time with your answers. Dimitri
0: started to puzzle over the answers as soon as he left the courtroom. When he reached home, however, he realised he had nobody to help him. Well, I'll just have to seek help, for if
2: I can't solve these riddles,
0: I'll lose the foal. Then he remembered a woman, one of his neighbours, to whom he had once lent a silver ducat. That had been some time ago, and with the interest, the neighbour now owed him three ducats. And since she had a reputation for being quick-witted but also very astute, he decided to ask her advice in exchange for cancelling part of her debt. But the woman was not slow to show how clever she really was and she promptly demanded that the whole debt be wiped out in exchange for the answers.
1: The fastest thing in the world is my husband's bay horse, she said. Nothing can beat it. The fastest is our pig. Such a huge beast has never been seen. The softest is the quilt I made for the bed using my own goose's feathers. It's the envy of all my friends. The most precious thing in the world is my three-month-old nephew. There isn't a more handsome child. I wouldn't exchange him for all the gold on earth, and that makes him the most precious thing on earth."
0: Dimitri was rather doubtful about the woman's answers being correct, but, on the other hand, he had to take some kind of solution back to the Emperor. And he guessed, quite rightly, that if he didn't, he would be punished. In the meantime, Ivan, who was a widower, had gone back to the humble cottage where he lived with his small daughter. Only seven years old, the little girl was often left alone, and as a result, was thoughtful and very clever for her age. The poor man took the little girl into his confidence, for like his brother, he knew he would never be able to find the answers by himself. The child sat in silence for a moment. And then firmly she said,
1: Tell the emperor that the fastest thing in the world is the cold north wind in winter. The fattest is the soil in our fields whose crops give life to men and animals alike. The softest thing is a child's caress and the most precious is Honesty. The day came
0: when the two brothers were to return before the Emperor. They were led into his presence. The Emperor was curious to hear what they had to say, but he roared with laughter at Dimitri's foolish answers. However, when it was Ivan's turn to speak, a frown spread over the Emperor's face. The poor brother's wise replies made him squirm, especially the last one about honesty, the most precious thing of all. The emperor knew perfectly well that he had been dishonest in his dealings with the poor brother, for he had denied him justice. But he could not bear to admit it in front of his own counsellors, so he angrily demanded, Who gave you these answers? Ivan told the emperor that it was his small daughter. Still annoyed, the great man said,
2: "'You shall be rewarded for having such a wise and clever daughter. "'You shall be awarded the full that your brother claimed, "'together with a hundred silver ducats. "'But, but,' and the emperor winked at his counsellors, "'you will come before me in seven days' time, "'bringing your daughter.' and since she is so clever she must appear before me neither naked nor dressed neither on foot nor on horseback neither bearing gifts nor empty-handed and if she does this you will have your reward if not you will be punished for your impotence the onlookers began
0: to laugh, knowing that the poor man would never be able to fulfil the
2: Emperor's conditions.
0: (music) Ivan went home in despair, his eyes brimming with tears. But when he had told his daughter what had happened, she calmly said,
1: "'Tomorrow,' Go and catch a hare and a partridge. Both must be alive. You'll have the foal and the hundred silver ducats. Leave it to me. Ivan did as his daughter said. He had no idea
0: what the two creatures were for, but he trusted in his daughter's wisdom. On the day of the audience with the emperor, The palace was thronged with bystanders waiting for Ivan and his small daughter to arrive. At last the little girl appeared, draped in a fishing net, riding the hare and holding the partridge in her hand. She was neither naked nor dressed, on foot or on horseback. Scowling, the emperor told her,
2: I said, neither bearing gifts nor empty-handed. At these words,
0: the little girl held out the partridge. The emperor stretched out his hand to grasp it. But the bird fluttered into the air. The third condition had been fulfilled. In spite of himself, the Emperor could not help admiring the little girl who had so cleverly passed such a test. And in a gentler voice he said,
2: Is your father terribly poor? And does he desperately need the foal?
1: Oh, yes,
2: replied the little girl.
1: We live on the hares he catches in the rivers and the fish he picks from the trees.
2: "'Aha!' cried the emperor triumphantly. "'So
1: you're not as
2: clever as you seem to be. "'Whoever heard of hares in the river and fish in the trees?'
1: "'To which the little girl swiftly replied, "'And whoever heard of a stallion having a foe?' (laughs) "'At that, both emperor and
0: court burst into peals of laughter.' Ivan was immediately given his hundred silver ducats and the foe,
2: and the emperor proclaimed, Only in my kingdom could such a wise little girl be born.
0: Now, let's take a Valentine's Day journey with The Cat's Elopement, a tale from Japan. Oh, in case you don't know the word elopement, it simply means a couple who run off to get married in secret. Once upon a time, there lived a cat of marvellous beauty, with skin soft and shining as silk, and wise green eyes that could see even in the dark. His name was Gunn, and he belonged to a music teacher who was so fond and proud of him that he would not have parted with him for anything in the world. Now, not far from the music master's house, there lived a lady who also possessed a most lovely little pussycat called Coma. She was such a little dear altogether and blinked her eyes so daintily and ate her supper so tidily. And when she had finished, she licked her pink nose so delicately with her little tongue that her mistress was never tired of saying, "Coma, Coma, what should I do? without you.' Well, it happened one day that these two went out for an evening stroll, and they met under a cherry tree, and in an instant they fell madly in love with each other. Gon had long felt that it was time for him to find a wife, for all the ladies in the neighbourhood paid him so much attention that it made him quite shy, but he was not easy to please and did not care about any of them. Now, before he had time to think, Cupid had entangled him in his net, and he was filled with love for Coma. And so too Coma returned his love. But she also was wise enough to realize that their path to true love would not be easy. Oh, my dear Coma! she said. It is clear that we are smitten with each other. But what are we to do? For you live with your master in one house, and I live with my mistress in another, and so how are we ever to be together under one roof? Ah, do not worry, my dearest, soothed Gunn. I shall find a way. And so, The two of them parted, agreeing to meet up again as soon as they could. That evening, Gon entreated his master to set matters right by buying Koma. But when Goma's master approached Koma's mistress, she would hear of no such thing. How dare you to ask me to part with my beloved Koma, she cried. Why, if you care so much, then you should give me your beloved Gon. Now... Of course, the music master was distraught at such a suggestion, and so everything remained as before. Poor Gon and Koma were broken-hearted. But as time passed, they decided it was time to please themselves and seek their fortunes in their own way. So one moonlight night, They stole away together, venturing out into the wide, wide world. The next day they marched along together in the bright sunshine, leaving their homes further and further with every step they took. In the evening they were both exhausted from their travels and delighted in finding rest in a nearby park with cool, lush grass and large, leafy trees. but suddenly from out of the bushes racing toward them came a gigantic dog, baring his teeth and raising his hackles. Koma shrieked and scarpered up a cherry tree. Gone, however, stood his ground boldly and prepared to give battle, for he felt that Koma's eyes were upon him and that he must not run away. From her perch in the tree, Koma knew full well that Gawne would not stand a chance against this fierce hound and she screamed with all her might hoping that someone would hear and come to help. Luckily, a servant of the princess to whom the part belonged was walking by and he drove off the dog and picking up the trembling Gone in his arms carried him to his mistress. So poor little Koma was left alone, while Gon was taken away against his wishes, but not in the least knowing what else to do. Even the attention paid him by the princess when the servant brought him to her was of no consolation, for all he wished was to be with his beloved Koma. Now, the princess, Gon's new mistress, was so good and kind that everybody loved her, and she would have led a happy life had it not been for a serpent who had fallen in love with her and was constantly annoying her by his presence. Her servants had orders to drive him away as often as he appeared, but as they were careless and the serpent very sly, it sometimes happened that he was able to slip past them and to frighten the princess by appearing before her. One day she was seated in her room playing on her favourite musical instrument when she felt something gliding up her sash and saw her enemy making his way to kiss her cheek. She shrieked and threw herself backwards, and Gone, who had been curled up on a stool at her feet, understood her terror, and with one bound seized the snake by his neck. He gave him one bite and one shake and flung him on the ground where he lay never to worry the princess any more. Then the princess took Gon in her arms and praised and caressed him and from then on saw that he had the nicest bits to eat and the softest mats to lie on and he would have had nothing in the world to wish for if only he could have seen Koma again. Time passed, and one morning Gon lay before the house door, basking in the sun. He looked lazily at the world stretched out before him and saw, in the distance, a big ruffian of a cat teasing and ill-treating quite a little one. He jumped up, full of rage, and chased away the big cat, and then he turned to comfort the little one. When his heart nearly burst with joy to find that it was... Coma! At first Coma did not know him again. He had grown so large and stately, but when it dawned upon her who it was... Her happiness knew no bounds and they rubbed their heads and their noses again and again while their purring might have been heard a mile off. Paw in paw they appeared before the princess and told her the story of their life and its sorrows. The princess wept to hear about all their trials and tribulations. And she promised there and then that they should never more be parted but should live with her together to the end of their days. Well, by and by the princess herself got married and brought a prince to dwell in the palace in the park. And she told him all about her two cats and how brave Gon had been and how he had delivered her from her enemy the serpent and when the prince heard, he swore they should never leave them, but should go with the princess wherever she went. So it all fell out as the princess wished, and Gone and Koma had many children, and so had the princess, and they all played together and were the best of friends to the very end of their lives. take an encore journey with Inventor McGregor, written by me and published by Farrar, Strauss and Giroux. Hector McGregor lived in a higgledy pigglety house with a cheery wife, five children and a hen called Hattie. Mend it, Mick everyone called him, because he could mend most anything that needed mending, they said, from fishing rods and fairy wands to top hats and rubber ducks. Day after day, people brought him their squeaky skates, squiggly spoons, wobbly wagons, tangled kites, knotted yo-yos, headless dolls, and footless soldiers. With a blob of glue or a squirt of oil, with a tap of his hammer or a shimmy here and a shimmy there, Hector MacGregor mended whatever needed mending, and sent everyone on their way with a skip, a hop and a hum. In between his gluing and oiling and hammering, Hector MacGregor liked to stroll down the winding lane at the back of his house, where the bluebells grow, and the smell of wet heather lingered long and sweet. There he sang a snippet of a song, Or twirled a whirl of a fling, or sometimes he pulled out his palette and his easel to paint a picture. Then back to his mending he went with a heart that was both happy and full. And every night before the shades were drawn, Hector McGregor nestled his fiddle beneath his chin and played a rousing reel or a sweeping Strathspey, while all around the house from a his cheery wife, five children, and his hen called Hattie whirled and whooshed and wheed. One day, Angus the postman stopped by to have his bag patched. That wee scoundrel of a Scotty down Loopy Lane has torn my bag to tatters again, he grumbled. Ach, oh, dear me, said Hector MacGregor, we need to stop that scallywag. Leave it to me, I'll think of something.' The next day, Hector McGregor handed Angus a shiny new bag covered with all sorts of buttons, dangling cords and flapping flaps. What's this? asked Angus. It's a barking bag, said Hector McGregor. Whenever you see that Scotty, just push this button, flip this flap and it'll set off a barking noise as loud as a hundred wolfhounds. With his new bag slung over his shoulder, Angus the postman went on his way. By the end of the day, the whole town had heard the story of how the barking bag had sent that Scotty fleeing with his tail between his legs. Now everyone wanted Hector McGregor to concoct some thingamabob or thingamajig to make their world a little better or brighter. When Missus Mackay complained about her boys who dawdled and dilly dallied all the way to school, Hector McGregor invented a pair of detachable monkey tails so they could swing and swoop and swish through the treetops all the way to school. To lighten the children's school bags, Hector MacGregor invented a paper pump that blew up their books with helium. Now off to school they sauntered with their books, bobbing and dancing above them like a bunch of bobbing balloons. For Mrs MacIver, who had triplets and a husband at sea, Hector MacGregor pieced together some helping hands that she could strap to her shoulder. Every morning, with a flick of a switch off, it went, wiping noses, zipping zippers, tying laces and holding hands. For Jamie Campbell, who always slept through his alarm clock, Hector McGregor invented an alarm bed that popped his head from the pillow like a jack from his box. And for wee Willie Beatty, the smallest boy in his class, Hector McGregor cobbled a Pair of bouncing boots so that he could see over walls and fences and heads. Inventor McGregor, everyone called him now, because he could invent most anything that needed inventing, they said. And in between his inventing, Hector McGregor still strolled down the winding lane at the back of his house where the bluebells grew and the smell of wet heather lingered long and sweet. There he sang his snippet of a song, painted his picture or twiddled a huddle of a fling. One day, the president of the Royal Society of Inventors, Nigel Withers, paid Hector
2: McGregor a visit. "'Congratulations, Mr. McGregor,' he said. "'We are so impressed with all your inventions "'that we want you to become a member of our society. "'We want you to start working for us immediately "'in your very own laboratory in the city.' Why, thank you, said Hector McGregor, but I
0: don't think I'll need a laboratory, you see. I like working here where I can sing and paint and... Oh, no, 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 protested Mr Withers. Real inventors
2: don't have time for all that nonsense. They invent, that's all. Just imagine how many more gadgets and gizmos you'll be able to invent with a
0: clear head and no distractions. Hector McGregor scratched his chin. Hmm... He said, maybe you're right. And the next week, Hector MacGregor set off to work in the city in his very own laboratory. Mr Withers gave him a long white coat and a badge that read, Inventor MacGregor. Outside his door hung a sign with the words, Quiet, inventor, inventing. All day, Hector MacGregor sat at his desk in the laboratory, thinking about what to invent. He thought... And he thought, and he thought. So long did he think that by the time he arrived home at night all his children were sound asleep in bed and his cheery wife sat dozing by the fire with Hattie the hen in her lap. The next day was no different. Not the next, not the one after that. Day after day, week after week, Hector McGregor sat at his desk in the laboratory staring out the window at the toy shop across the street. He thought and he thought and he thought. But no matter how long or how hard he thought, no ideas came to him. Soon people stopped calling him Inventor McGregor. Whenever he walked down the street, the people whispered to one another, Shh, it's sad. A mistake. He's not a real inventor. Hector McGregor hung his head in shame. Whenever Mr. Withers popped his head around the door of the laboratory, Hector McGregor saw the frown in his eyes, and again he hung his head in shame. Oh, maybe I'm not a real inventor after all, he thought. Maybe I should give back my badge and my coat and my laboratory. But as he was thinking this thought, he noticed some painters painting the toy shop across the road. Suddenly an urge tickled down his arms and it, to his fingertips, up he bolted, out the door he flew, across the street he dashed Quick, quick, he cried to the painters I need to borrow your brushes and paint huh? Bewildered and befuddled, the men handed them over Back to the laboratory raced Hector McGregor with the paint pots dangling from his arms Clutching a paint brush in each hand he began to slosh and swish the paint across the laboratory wall Splish, Splash! splash Splosh First, he painted a picture of his cheery wife sitting beneath the plum tree at the side of his house. Next, he painted a picture of his five children paddling in the pond by the front gate. Finally, he painted a picture of his hen, Hattie, pecking her cordon at the bottom of the winding lane. Then, he threw down his brushes and beamed at all the faces he loved, splashed across the wall. With a hoot and a holler, he dashed out the door and flew down the street. "'Where are you going?' Mr Withers called after him Home cried Hector McGregor, home to my happy, happy home. Back at his Higgledy Piggledy house, Hector McGregor kissed his cheery wife, his five children, and his hen called Hattie. He strolled on the winding lane at the back of his house, where the bluebells grew and the smell of wet heather lingered long and sweet. There he sang a snippet of a song, he twirled a whirl of a fling and he painted a picture of a marmalade cat curled up in a patch of sunlight. Then back to his inventing he went with a heart that was happy and full. Week after week, one more incredible invention after another spilled out of him. Peppermint pencils, doggy wellingtons, jelly bean erasers, tartan grass, mufflers to warm noses, and books that glowed in the dark. Inventor McGregor, everyone called him again because he could invent most anything that needed inventing, they said just as long as he could sing and paint and fiddle and fling and love all that he had to love and every night before the shades were drawn Inventor McGregor nestled his fiddle beneath his chin and he played a rousing reel or a sweeping strathspey, while all around the house from pantry to barter His cheery wife, five children, and his hen called Hattie whirled and whooshed and whished. I hope you enjoyed this special omnibus edition. Of journey with story and don't forget if you had a favorite story do let us know just go to www.journeywithstory.com click on the contact us and fill in the form and if you want to be considered for a shout out on the show send us your drawings there too Click on Contact Us, fill in the form and attach your drawing there. You can also see the link in our episode notes. Cheerio then. Join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.